The Mystery of Jesus Notice to the reader, these pages substantially transcribe the series of spiritual conferences that Archbishop Lefebvre gave to the seminarians of the St. Pius X Seminary at Econ, Switzerland, from November 28, 1977 to March 29, 1979. The Archbishop himself entitled them, The Mystery of Our Lord Jesus Christ. This series of conferences followed some preparatory conferences with the theme of the call to holiness and the dispositions necessary to advance in the spiritual life. One can easily understand that the series of conferences on the mystery of Christ was very often interrupted by the frequent trips of the Archbishop as well as by other conferences given on current events and other themes. This explains the numerous repetitions by which the prelate resumed the thread of his long exposition. These recapitulations are, however, neither unhelpful nor unpleasant to read. They always bring a new approach to the mystery, in the same way that looking at the different facets of a diamond allows the beholder to admire its sparkling beauty without ever exhausting it. This manner of exposition by repetitions and advances corresponds, moreover, to the contemplative spirit that was Archbishop Lefebvre's. St. Thomas held from Saint-Denis the distinction of three movements in the act of contemplation, circular, oblique, and straight. The latter, like the flight of the lark rising and descending above its nest, is the manner of the mind that rises from sensible things to spiritual things, and vice versa, in order to illustrate divine things with the help of terrestrial things. The oblique motion is that of the mind that uses divine illumination to reason on the truths of the faith, proceeding from principles to theological conclusions, and inversely, like the dove, that flies from one branch of a tree to that of another, lower or higher. Finally, there is the circular motion, uniform around a center, when the soul takes in with one glance several aspects of a divine truth, and, as a circular movement without beginning and without end, circumscribes the mystery, like the eagle soaring in the heights, describes a large circle, keeping a panoramic sight of the whole, without taking its eye off the center. It is undoubtedly this circular movement of contemplation that allowed Archbishop Lefebvre to successively contemplate all the aspects of the mystery of the Incarnate Word like an eagle, contemplating in detail and in general the entire region over which it flies. Archbishop Lefebvre sees in a remarkable manner the implication of the divine processions in the divine missions, as well as the interconnection of the mystery of the Holy Trinity and that of the Incarnation, a connection that he resumes by these words which his listeners heard so often from his mouth that they remain engraved in their memories. Quote, we have no other God than our Lord Jesus Christ. If the flight patterns of the lark and the dove are like the proceedings of the theologian, that of the eagle belongs to the contemplative, and the first two are ordered to the latter, as teaches Father Garigou Lagrange following St. Thomas, saying, quote, 
Theology is a science subordinate to the science of God and the blessed. This implies that the best theologian will also be a contemplative. Without neglecting theological reasoning, Archbishop Lefebvre often prefers to it the shortcut revealed by the contemplative's intuition, or the admiring gaze, or, finally, the simple silence of one who can find no words to express what he sees. Standing before the Holy of Holies, he can only fall silent and tell us, It is a mystery. There is the mystery. Our minds, inclined to ratiocinate, might feel some dissatisfaction, but the opposite is true. What a purification! Archbishop Lefebvre's exposition is not meant to be a complete treatise of Christology. Certain aspects of the mystery have not been developed, such as, for example, the plenitude of grace in Christ, or the consequences of the capital grace of Jesus Christ for the mystical body, or even the priesthood of Christ. These aspects are never entirely absent, but they are continually assimilated to the central truth of the hypostatic union, to the dogma of the divinity of Christ, which constitutes the essence of the subject. The great merit of these conferences, in fact, is that they focus on several great principles, which the speaker delights in repeating, to the point of satiety, one might say, like the Apostle St. John, who would repeat incessantly to the disciples the precept of fraternal charity, quote, because it is the precept of the Lord, and if one keeps it, it is enough, end quote. Is it not, after all, the touchstone of the great masters to know how to recapitulate everything in a few principles, the simplest, the most luminous, and the highest? Like St. Paul and St. Pius X, Archbishop Lefebvre loves to re-establish all things in Christ. Ephesians 1.10 And more particularly, to bring everything back to this capital truth, the divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. This truth, which supposes the mystery of the Blessed Trinity with the processions and missions of the divine persons, is never separated from its concrete implications. On the contrary, man of action that he was, as well as contemplative, Archbishop Lefebvre emphasizes the practical consequences of the divinity of Jesus Christ, his universal royalty, his social reign, fought against by the liberals. As a missionary full of faith, he sees in the person of the man-god, the unique savior, the founder of the one true religion, the head of his unique mystical body, which is the Catholic Church, the captain of the unique ark, quote, outside of which it is impossible to be saved. He sees in the divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ, the annihilation of ecumenism and of religious liberty against which he does not let pass any opportunity of inveighing. A pastor of souls, Archbishop Lefebvre does not fail to investigate the spiritual avenues of the dogma. The contemplation of the soul of Jesus Christ is the best means of sanctification, since his soul is, by his virtues, the model of our spiritual life, and by his plenitude of grace the cause of our salvation. He shows in the man-God not the singular being who constitutes the exception, but the normal man, the perfect man, on the model of whom we have been created and recreated in justice. 
the simple fact that we have the same sanctifying grace that our Lord Jesus Christ has, even if not in plenitude, of course, should throw us into admiration, not of man, some abstract and transcendental man, but of the new man, who, according to God, is created in the justice and holiness of truth, Ephesians 4.24, on the model of Christ. If the mystery of the Incarnation is ordered to the redemption of the human race, as Archbishop Lefebvre holds following St. Thomas, that does not mean that he is subordinated to the good of man, for, ultimately, it is ordered to the manifestation of the total Christ, to the glorification of the man-God in the members of his mystical body, as St. Paul teaches. All things were created by him and for him, he says of our Lord, Colossians 1.16. He is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end of everything, in his very mystery of man-God. Apocalypse 1.8 Far from being anthropocentric, like the false spirituality of the modernists, our spirituality is Christocentric, entirely centered on the adorable person of our Lord Jesus Christ. In preparing the transcription for publication, we have had to alter the text slightly, which, without harming the spoken style of the lecturer, aims at observing as closely as possible the exactness of diction required for a written text, but which is less necessary when the varying intonations of the voice give to spoken expressions their appropriate significance. Likewise, we have tried to order the ideas which the orator, under the influence of inspiration, has not always been able to clearly delineate. Sometimes we have completed the abundant citations that Archbishop Lefebvre makes of the authors whom he appreciated, like Abbot Marmion or Father Bonsivant, etc. So doing, we believe that we have betrayed neither the thought nor the expression of the Archbishop, persuaded as we are that he himself would have carefully reviewed the written text of his conferences, if he had been able to, for their publication. Thus, we have divided the exposition into short chapters which did not equal in length the time of each conference, but which follow their exact order. Finally, we have provided abundant footnotes, most drawn from approved authors, often St. Thomas Aquinas and St. Augustine, in order to illustrate as well as possible Archbishop Lefebvre's ideas and to show their deep roots in the Church's tradition. A word needs to be said about the sources from which the lecturer drew. Besides St. Thomas Aquinas, his preferred master, he drew inspiration from Father Joseph Bonsivant S.J. in his work Les Enseignements de Jésus-Christ, The Teachings of Jesus Christ. But this takes nothing away from the essential part of these conferences, which is owed to the reflection, the personal research, the original construction, the constant reference to Holy Scripture, and finally, as we have said, to an incessant contemplation of the mystery of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is another source, more distant and more diffuse, but nonetheless present and important in these conferences. One could even say that they had their origin in the reading, certainly attentive and fruitful, which the then seminarian, Abbe Marcel Lefebvre, made of it in the seminary. It concerns a work which he no longer had at hand when he was preparing these conferences at Econ, 
a little book in two volumes of 215 and 179 pages, entitled La Psychologie du Christ by Monseigneur Jean-Arthur Cholet, Doctor in Theology and Professor at the School of Theology of Lille, published by Le Teilleur in 1903. It was only a year before the Archbishop's death that a correspondent, Mr. Paul del Perugia, wrote him suggesting that he reprint the work of which he possessed a copy. Here is what Archbishop Lefebvre wrote him. Econ, March 13, 1990 Dear Sir, Providence is good to encourage you to write me about the treasure which is the book of Monsignor Cholet on the psychology of Christ. Having much appreciated it while I was a seminarian at Rome between 1923 and 1930, I have often looked for it in libraries. It is simply not to be found. That is to let you know how much your letter cheered me and awakened a hope that it might be possible to reprint it. I knew Monsignor Cholet, a great mind in the service of the Catholic faith, without compromise. Thank you cordially for your communication. The spiritual affinity existing between the seminarian and the theology professor of Lille found its completion a few years later when Monseigneur Cholet, who had become Bishop of Verdun and then Archbishop of Cambrai, consecrated Monseigneur Cuyé, who consecrated Monseigneur Lecomte, who consecrated Monseigneur Lienard, from whom Archbishop Lefebvre would receive in turn the fullness of the priesthood, becoming thus the great-great-grandson of Archbishop Cholet in the Episcopacy. We ask of God for the readers of this work many graces and spiritual joys, for if St. Paul himself asked the Lord for the graces necessary to allow him to expose the mystery of our Lord Jesus Christ, quote, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Ephesians 2.3, then how much more have we need of abundant graces to be able to receive this teaching and penetrate in our turn, quote, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Ephesians 3, 8. Bernard Tissier de Malaret, Menzingen, 22 February 1995, Feast of the Chair of St. Peter. Author's Introduction According to the means that the good God grants me, I would like to try to present to your understanding the mystery of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is always our Lord who is the center and heart of our life, and who will be so eternally. For it is by Him and in Him that we are able to live by grace, live in charity, and prepare our eternity. There is no other way. When we poor sinners weigh what we are, always tempted by our weakness and by the wounds of original sin to favor rather the disorder within, we need to find not only a model, but also the one who is the cause of the order to be reestablished. Our Lord is not only our model, He is also the cause of our resurrection, the cause of our sanctification. It is in Him that we truly find all that we need for our sanctification. The Catholic Church presents us this perfect man in our Lord Jesus Christ. The more we contemplate him, the more we frequent him by all the means placed at our disposition by our Lord himself, Holy Church, the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, and especially the Holy Eucharist, 
the more we should be able to penetrate the mystery that is our Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, here is, after all, a great mystery. St. Paul repeats this constantly. It is what he teaches in a special manner to all those to whom he is sent. With this in mind, I fall on my knees, I, Paul, of whom Jesus Christ has made a prisoner for the love of you Gentiles. You will have been told how God planned to give me a special grace for preaching to you, how a revelation taught me the secret I have been setting out briefly here, briefly, yet so as to let you see how well I have mastered this secret of Christ's. It was never made known to any human being in past ages, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. And it is this, that through the gospel preaching the Gentiles are to win the same inheritance, to be made part of the same body, to share the same divine promise in Christ Jesus. With what grace God gives me, and he gives it in all the effectiveness of his power, I am a minister of that gospel. On me, least as I am of all the saints, he has bestowed this privilege of making known to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ, of publishing to the world the plan of his mystery kept hidden from the beginning of time in the all-creating mind of God. The principalities and powers of heaven are to see, now, made manifest in the church, the subtlety of God's wisdom. Such is his eternal purpose, centered in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians 3, 1-11 This is truly St. Paul's great preoccupation, to make known to the Gentiles the great mystery of Christ. For it is true, as we profess in our faith, that our Lord Jesus Christ is the man-God. Yet, in the mystery of this union of God with human nature, it is obvious that we have much to meditate on. For this man who walked Palestine and lived at Nazareth for thirty years was God, a very extraordinary thing. How can God be in a human body, in a simple, limited human soul? Is it obvious that God can do without a human person and of himself directly assume a soul and a body? It is clearly a mystery, because we cannot completely succeed in understanding this absolutely stupefying reality, the incarnation of God. Nonetheless, it is in this mystery that our salvation lies. It is in this mystery that the reason for the existence of creation lies. 